Good morning, good news. How we doing? Oh, y'all were much more awake than the 9 a.m. Thank you. Hey, my name's Justin Linneman, and my lovely bride next to me is Julie Linneman. And uh, we, uh, we just moved here um, to St. Augustine from the great nation of Texas back in January and joined, uh, joined Good News Church back in April. And one of the first things we did um, was uh, we, we joined a, a small group, or actually we started one. And that's a beautiful picture of those people there uh, that started a small group. It's one of the reasons we actually sought out and, and came to visit Good News is because of their love and desire for, for small group. Uh, my wife, Julie, she, uh, she homeschools our four kiddos. They're amazing kids. I have to say that because two of them are in here right now. But uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen them, you've probably heard them somewhere around here. So, uh, but we love them. She does a fantastic job of homeschooling. I get the, the privilege to be the St. John's County Area Director for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, so what that means is I get to... Oh, I'm coming to the 1030 service from now on. <laughs> Forget those 9 o'clock people. Man, holy cow, y'all are awesome. Uh, so what that means what, with what I get to do is each and every day with middle school, high school, and college coaches and athletes share the gospel. And really our, our ministry is about uh, coaches and athletes making disciples who make disciples. And so hopefully that sounds familiar uh, with this church. Uh, that's, one, again, one of the reasons, too, that we wanted to be a part of this church. And so... Uh, we say, uh, uh, come, come join us, and, and thank you so much for, for being here this morning. But enough about us, honey. Let's, let's talk about them a little bit. All right. Well, if you are new or visiting this morning, welcome. You will find a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you will take that and fill it out with as much information as you would like, that gives us an opportunity to connect with you, and you can place it in the black boxes in the back of the church as you leave today. Awesome. And one of the best ways to join Good News like we did back in April um, is uh, take our Discover Good News class. And we've got two offerings for that coming up this month. And so you can see those on the screen. Um, and then, again, with your Connect card, if you'll just tell us on there which of those uh, classes that you would like to, to be at, that would be super helpful. But please, come Come uh, discover good news. Come make this your church home. If you've been checking it out for a little bit, uh, you'll, be, you'll be very glad you did. All right. And if you didn't know, Christmas is just around the corner. And good news is doing something called Christmas gatherings, which are basically um, a party with a purpose. So you get to invite your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, and you host, and then the gospel is shared. So if you are interested in participating in that, Good News is going to have a training on October 7th. So again, you can mark that on your handy-dandy Connect card if you would like to be involved. Um, again, this is just a great way to connect with those around you and to share the true meaning of Christmas. Um, and then before that, Hello Fall is on its way. Um, October 29th, uh, we're going to have a chili cook-off slash trunk or treat so last i heard there are many spots available so like something like 65 parking spots available for you to decorate your trunk and pass out candy um, and then there's also spots available for you to participate in the chili cook-off and i feel like we have to yeah, yeah. because we're from texas so you have to have texas chili so she'll be making yes Probably. 
All right, and then lastly, uh, the event that's closest to us is actually coming up here in a couple weeks, and that's the Daddy-Daughter Dance. And so on the 14th, um, this will be held at our World Golf Village campus. Uh, for information, you can check out the website, goodnewsloves.com, or a nice little QR code right there. Scan that, and you can register for that. Um, so the, the, to remember on that, you're not too old. If, if you are a daddy and you have a daughter, you're welcome. So nobody's too old. All right, so some of you in the room, I, I see you. You're not too old. All right, get your daughter. Let's go. Uh, so enough from us. We're going to invite Smiley up, and as I do, I'm going to pray um, and uh, ask God to, uh, to open our hearts and minds to hear what he has to say through, through Smiley. Let's go. Father, thank you so much for bringing each and every one of us here for the sole opportunity, Lord, to hear from you, to be in your presence. And, Lord, so I pray that you would speak through Smiley, the Holy Spirit, you would uh, just indwell him, and, and his words that come out would actually be yours. That, God, you would help us to be still and to be silent and listen before you, Lord. That your words would be illuminated on the pages and as they are spoken, Lord, that we would hear them from you, and not from Smiley, but from you, God. And so, pray, God, that you would just speak through Smiley right now. We thank you for your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. And Julie, thanks for noticing the ring on the ground and picking it up. I'm not sure the theology of it falling off the stool and being on the ground, so thank you for cleaning that up. I wish you guys could have been here on Monday. On Monday, we had MOPS, our first meeting of the, the year, and uh, we had 70 moms, seven, let me, 75 moms and 80 kids participating, and there were moms and babies everywhere. And Tavanya wanted me to thanks, thank you to our leadership team and awesome child care workers for making this ministry possible. And in a culture that really doesn't value moms, it was so great to, to have these moms being uh, treasured on Monday. So thanks for all who helped put that on. Yeah, we can give thanks. <clears throat> oh, And then on your seat, if you're new, we have a, a little tool we call the study. It comes out once a month. It's meant to be a disciple-making tool, and if you would open to page 14 and 15, there's a place for message notes. You might hear something you'd like to, to write down. You could do that, and then after that is, is a small group lesson each week for our small group, and then a really exciting thing that there's a place for you to read Scripture with us. This week, we're going to be reading 1 Thessalonians and it's really good when we do it together. I encourage you, if you've not been doing it, try it for a week. For one week, four days a week, read a scripture with us and uh, share with, you know, uh, with others what you've been learning, and you'll be glad that you did. It's so good. Um, I, ordered, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon this week. I'll let you know. I'll let you know which comes first, okay? <laughs> you know, Smiley, maybe you should stick to the Bible. Okay, okay. If you're new, we believe the Bible is God's Word, and we love to open it up and really encourage you. I saw so many people today bringing in their Bibles. Way to go. It's God's Word, and when we understand that, we really want to know it. That's why we study it. 
Uh, we're reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, for your information, all the T's in the Bible go together. Um, and some of you are really glad to know that uh, after four weeks, we're actually graduating to chapter 3. Second Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Now, it's really helpful in understanding Scripture to understand kind of the context and the setting. So the year is 64 AD. It's 64 AD. Paul, the author, is in prison. It's his second Roman imprisonment. He's about to be martyred. And he's writing this letter to Timothy, one of his disciples. <laughs> Timothy's a lot like me. He's kind of timid, kind of a coward. And they're facing really difficult days. And Paul loves the gospel. And so he's trying to fire Timothy up so that he would carry on the work of the gospel after Paul has been martyred. And so the point of today's message is what Paul is really trying to teach Timothy, and that's to stand firm in the gospel. He's saying, Timothy, in difficult times, I want you to stand firm, to stand firm in the gospel. Paul loved the gospel. Maybe you're new and you say, what is that? The gospel is the good news of Jesus, a good news of a Savior who saves sinners. So in this book, for four chapters, it's been all about the gospel. In chapter 1, back a couple of months ago, we learned Paul says, guard the gospel. Guard it. There's always people who want to take away from it or add to it. Guard the gospel. And then we spent some time and looked at suffer for the gospel. There's things in life worth suffering for. The gospel is worth suffering for. And then as we walk through chapter 3, it's going to be about continue in the gospel. Continue. Stand firm in the gospel. And then we'll get to chapter 4 where Paul says, preach the gospel. Don't keep it to yourself. Preach the gospel. So that's the setting. And now let's begin to unpack this. But realize this. Some of your translations will say, know this, that in the last days... It's so important to understand in the Bible, the last days are the days between Jesus' first coming and when he comes back. People often ask me, are we in the last days? Yes, we are, because in the Bible, the last days are the days between his first and second coming. Let me show you that. Uh, remember Pentecost, uh, Peter, who had denied that he knew who Jesus was, the, the Holy Spirit fell, the church was birthed. Peter, who had denied Jesus before, some, some servant girls, now is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel very boldly. Uh, and people are wondering, what's going on here in Jerusalem? So here's what he said, Acts 2, verse 16. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour... Out forth of my spirit on all mankind. You see, in the Older Testament, before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit was only given to a few, the prophet, the priest, and the king. But in the last days, on that time between when Jesus came the first day and when he comes back, in the last days, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all of God's people. That's what you're observing. What's happening in Jerusalem is the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of God's people. I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters 
shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Another passage that would teach us about the last days, it's all over the Newer Testament, but in Hebrews chapter 1, look at what this says. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in, in, in many portions and in many ways, in the Older Testament, God spoke to His people in a lot of different ways. Remember, there were dreams and visions. That's what it was like in the Older Testament. But notice, in these last days... Between Jesus' first coming and second coming in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things through also He made the world, and He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all the things by the word of His power. You ever wonder what God is like? You ever, what is God is like? What is God is like? And what the Bible says, if we look at Jesus, He's the exact representation of His nature. He upholds all things. If we look at Jesus, we get to know what God is like. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having accomplished his work and died, he rose and then he ascended into heaven. So people often ask me, well, Somali, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. Because the last days are the days between his first coming and his second coming. Yes, Jesus is coming back. It's soon. And uh, one thing we can say is uh, we are closer to the return of Jesus than Christians have ever been. So... Back to our verse, we are in the last days, that time between His first and second coming, and in the last days, difficult times will come. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that there would be difficulties in the last days. And listen, that was a difficult time because Paul was in prison, about to be martyred. Um, Listen, when the church was birthed and the gospel was shared, there was a tremendous hunger Thousands and thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ, but there was also hostility. And that's always been true. When we share the gospel, we should always expect hunger, but we shouldn't be surprised by hostility. Matter of fact, next week we will look in verse 12, and we'll see, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. From the time Jesus came the first time, Till when he comes back, all who are serious about their faith, all who believe the gospel, all who follow Jesus, all who want to make disciples, they will all be persecuted. So what Paul is saying is in between Jesus' first and second coming, um, there will be difficult days and sometimes there will be seasons of intense persecution. We see that happening to our brothers and sisters in India now, that they're going through an unprecedented time of persecution. And even in our own culture, we notice an increasing hostility toward the gospel. So what do we learn so far? That we live in the last days. That in the last days, we can expect there to be difficulties. And then we notice as well that these difficulties come from bad men for men And what Paul wants us to understand is how important it is that we're prepared, that we're prepared for difficult days. The way we're prepared is we stand firm in the gospel. We stand firm in the gospel. So what will it look like? What will it look like between Jesus' first and second coming? For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents. Sounds a lot like what? Like today, right? Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of God rather than lovers of God. He gives 19 descriptions, 19 descriptions of the difficulties that we will encounter from bad men in the time between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. Did you happen to notice a word that was repeated? Did anybody notice what that word was? The word was lovers. Did you notice how the word lovers occurs in there four times? Did you see that? Remember last week? Remember last week I gave you a definition for self-control? And what I said is that self-control is the right ordering of our passions. The right ordering of our passions. If Jesus is our first love, if we've loved Jesus, and if our second love is to love one another, and if our third love is to love the lost, if those are our great loves, then all our other passions in life will be in the right place. But if we love self more than we love Jesus, if we love money more than we love Jesus, if we love pleasure, more than we love Jesus, that leads to all kinds of evil, including <clears throat> false religion. Um, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. He says that in the last days, you will find that people are religious, but they deny the power that's been entrusted to the church. And don't we live in a time like that? <laughs> there are churches and, and people like the stained glass and the liturgy and the candle. They like all the religious trappings, but they have denied the power entrusted to the church. And you do know the power entrusted to the church, don't you? The power entrusted to the church is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1... Verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. See the word power? It's the Greek word dunamis from which we get the word dynamite. It's dynamite. It's powerful. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So certainly in our time, there are churches that deny the gospel. They deny the bad news of the gospel, and they deny the good news of the gospel. There are churches today who deny that we are sinners, that we can't save ourselves, and that hell is a real place. There are those who deny the gospel by denying the bad news. There are churches that deny the good news of the gospel. They deny that, that Jesus is virgin-born, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. They deny that He died on the cross and the substitutionary atonement, that He died for our sins. They deny that He rose bodily from the grave. They deny that He's coming back. And so, listen, if you're a guest here, I want you to know that Good News Church has many, many, many flaws, but we stand firm in the gospel. We believe the bad news and the good news of the gospel. Indeed, we believe the bad news. We stand firm. We believe we have a problem called sin. 
It's not just that we have sin, which is a crime against God, but that we are sinners. And we believe the evidence for that is overwhelming. Isn't that what two through four were describing? What is sin? Men will be lovers of self. When we love ourselves more than we love God, that's a sin. Lovers of money. When we love money more than God, that's a sin. Boastful, arrogant. Those are sins we all sin against God. Revelers, disobedient to parents. Man, I'm guilty. Anybody else ever disobey your parents? Ungrateful. Oh, is that not true of us? Someone said we are picnicking in God's picnic grounds, but we refuse to give Him thanks. Isn't that true that we're ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? Nine o'clock service? That's too early. You ever go to a boat dock at five in the morning? People have no trouble. Why? Because we love pleasure more than we love God, and we're all guilty. We've all committed crime after crime against God, and the Bible says what we deserve is hell. That's the bad news. Oh, but the good news, there's a Savior whose name is Jesus. Do you know Him? We believe in the good news of the gospel that, that Jesus is God-made man, virgin-born, fully God, fully man, who lived a perfect life for us, who died on the cross as our substitute to atone for our sins. That He took our sins upon Himself because they're a big deal, and He died in our place and paid the full and awful penalty for our sins, crying out, it is finished. <clears throat> he died. <clears throat> But he, and, and he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He walked out. Listen, sin and death are connected. Death is the penalty for sin. And having paid it in full, death couldn't hold him. So Jesus walks out of the grave and he offers a salvation as a free gift. Save from what? Save from our sins. Save for forgiveness. Save from wasting our lives. Save for doing life with Jesus. Save from an eternity in hell. Save for doing eternity with Jesus. And how do we receive this gift? It's by faith, right? Remember what we just read in Romans 1, 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I remember when I first heard that, wait a minute, you're saying, you're saying that if I believe in Jesus, that it's all, it's just, we, we believe in Jesus and He forgives us and saves us, you're, that's what you're saying? Yes. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be forgiven? Who wouldn't want to not waste their life? Who wouldn't want to spend eternity with Jesus? So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? We love to say it really is as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, you can do that now as I talk through this or when I close in prayer, I'd be glad to assist you. Um, it starts when we admit. When the lights came on in my life and I saw my sin, I admitted, Jesus, I've sinned against you. I've disobeyed my parents. I've stolen so many things. I've told so many lies. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Won't you admit? 
When I saw Jesus had died and risen for me, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Have you seen him? Won't you believe? And then I committed to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that means I transferred my trust from myself to Jesus. Instead of trying to earn God's favor, I accepted what Jesus did for me, won't you? Jesus, come in and be my Savior. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. And he did. Won't you? I said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. And he did, won't you? Oh, and if you have, won't you thank him? Do you hear what it says? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I was wasting my life, and now I get to do life with you. Thank you that I was going to spend eternity in hell, and now I'm going to spend eternity with you. Thank you. So I can almost hear someone say, but how do you know? How do you know it's true? How do you know it's true? So I'm going to teach you something I've taught you before, and, uh, and here's what I want you to do. I want you, what I'm about to teach you, because I've taught you many times and you've forgotten, but this time, after I teach you, I want you this week to go and teach someone else. Because if you'll take what I'm about to teach you and you'll teach someone else, you'll remember it. The reason I remember it and you don't is because I teach it. How do we know something is true? There's two ways we know. There's the standard of truth and there's the evidence of truth. There's the standard of truth and there's the evidence of truth. And what is the standard of truth? Jesus is the standard. Remember what he said in John 14, verse 6? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. There it is. Jesus says, I'm the truth. In the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, how do we know the truth? Truth exists. Truth exists in a person. And when we know Jesus, we know the truth. So how do we know something? Does it conform to Jesus? He's the truth. And not only is Jesus the truth, but His Word is true. His Word is true. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. In a world of lies, in a world of lies, I mean, isn't Sunday the best day of the week? Don't we get a chance on Sundays to come and hear the truth? Because Jesus is the truth and God's Word is true. Who wouldn't want to know the truth? Um, every morning, what if we believed it was God's Word? I mean, don't we hear lies all the time? Wouldn't we want to get up and wouldn't we want to read the truth? Because it's the truth. So... How do we know what's true? The standard of truth. Does it conform to Jesus? Does it conform to His Word? And then there's the evidence of truth. The evidence of truth. How do we know Jesus is the truth? How do we know His Word is true? Because it fits reality. The evidence of truth is, does it conform to reality? So, let's go back and look at verses 2 through 4. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. That fits the standard of truth. As we look around it, does it explain the world we live in? Does it? It does, doesn't it? 
That's how we know it's true. It conforms to the Word, and it fits reality. Boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents. The Bible teaches that. Do we ever see that? The Bible fits. Ungrateful. Do you know we live in the most amazing country in the world? Oh, it's deeply flawed. But you know what? It is, it, it's, it's the most amazing. The freedoms we have and the prosperity. Do you know anybody who's ungrateful? Doesn't the Scripture fit us? That's how we know it's true. Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Malicious gossips without self-control, brutal haters of good. It's true, isn't it? That people hate what's good? Uh, I mean, if someone says that uh, there's an endless number of, uh, of genders in our culture, they're what? They're affirmed, aren't they? You guys there? They are, right? But if someone says that God created us male and female, they're called what? Haters and transphobic. Listen, in our culture... If two men say they sleep together, people in our culture cheer. They cheer and say, that's wonderful. But when I say God created us male and female and that sex belongs in marriage to be enjoyed only between a husband and wife, then I'm hated and called homophobic. Isn't that true? It's not just that people do wrong, they hate good. Isn't that exactly what the Bible says? How do we know it's true? Because it's the standard and we see it every day in our lives, don't we? Oh, haters of good, treacherous, we see it every day, don't we? We see it in ourselves, we see it in our family, we see it in our church, we see it in our culture because the Bible's true. Reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Um, goes on, holding to a form of God. Oh, no, that was, I'd already been there. I about started all over again. I'm going to spare you guys from that, okay? <laughs> but what I wanted you to see, what I wanted you to see is the way we know something is true is, is that it conforms to the standard, to Jesus and His Word, and then it fits to, it fits reality. It fits reality. Ah. Uh, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Um, maybe someone would like to come up here and explain these verses, because I'm kind of scared to venture into this, okay? I just see minefields all over the place in here that I'm about to step in in our culture today, right? But listen one more time, uh, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Now, first of all, doesn't that sound like a story we've heard before, doesn't it? Doesn't that take you where? All the way back to what? To the garden, doesn't it? Doesn't that remind you in the garden? Because who did Satan go? He approached the woman, right, and he deceived her, right? It, doesn't that sound familiar? And if you're familiar with cults in our country in the past, they would love to visit women during the week when their husbands were not there. Don't we see this pattern of what it's speaking about? Um, now, now, I want you to say, some of you are, 
uh, when, when it says weak women, uh, it's talking about people, women who are weak spiritually. They don't know the truth. Because they don't know the truth, they're easily deceived. They're morally weak because they're involved in immorality. They're easily deceived. And someone might say, well, Smiley, do you think that women are more easily deceived than men? I would say in some ways, yes, women are. But in other ways, men are much more easily deceived than women. All you need to do is to parade a naked lady through this room, and all the men in the room are going to forfeit half their IQ points, right, at that very moment. So there are ways that women are more easily deceived than men, but there are ways that men are way more easily deceived than women. But here's what I do believe. I believe God created us male and female, and it was good. And I believe with all my heart that God created men to be servant leaders in their home and church, and that God created women to be followers in their home and church. And I believe the great need in our homes and churches and what leads to human prosperity is when men's hearts are captured by the love of Christ and they are servant leaders in their home and church. That's what leads to prosperity when men lead and women follow. And um, wow, this is such an easy passage to walk through. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. One of the descriptions of, of times in the last day is people are always learning, but they never come to know the truth. You ever heard the term progressive Christians? You ever heard that? Progressive Christians? It's an oxymoron because they're neither progressive nor Christians. I read a book called uh, um, The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christians, and one of the commandments was it's, it's more important uh, to ask questions than to provide answers. Now, the word more is very significant. It's more important to, to ask questions than to provide answers. And they say because Jesus loved to ask questions, and Jesus did love to ask questions. But Jesus always asked questions to help people come to the knowledge of the truth. He didn't raise questions just to have them unanswered. Um, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as John A's and Jean Bray's opposed Moses, so those who oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as John A's and Jean Bray's folly was also. Listen, we should never be surprised when the truth is opposed. There are always those who oppose the truth because we have an enemy and he's a liar and a deceiver. And we say, well, who is this Jonas and Jambres? Uh, their names do not occur in the Older Testament. But in Jewish tradition, and Jewish tradition teaches that Jonas and Jambres, um, remember Moses? Remember how he was in retirement? Some of you retired. He was 80 years old. You remember the story. He was retired, enjoying living out in the country. God says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. Remember the story? And, and so God sends him in. 
And uh, he tells Pharaoh, uh, let my people go. And God says, and Pharaoh says, no way. So, so Moses throws his, his staff down. It becomes a, ser- a serpent. And then the Egyptians, their magicians do the same thing. So that's in Exodus 7. Who are Jeannes and Jambres? Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, uh, did the same with their secret arts. So Jewish tradition is the Jeannes and Jambres were the chief, two chief magicians of Pharaoh, the, the ones who did the same thing. And the tradition is that they became proselytes. They said that they were believers in the one true God. And when Israel left Egypt, they went with them. And then you remember what happened in the desert, right? They made a golden calf. That it was Jonas and Jambres who brought up this brilliant idea of making the golden calf and leading the people into idolatry. And when the people who were idolaters were killed, Jonas and Jambres were killed with them. So what Paul was saying is that in the last days, one of the difficulties will be is there will always be people, just like Johnny's and John Bray's, they oppose Moses, there will always be people who oppose the truth. Uh, Men of depraved mind reject it, but he says, listen, don't worry, because they will never prevail. But they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all, just as John A's and John Bray's folly was also. Listen, the gospel is true. Stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm in the gospel because eventually truth will always prevail. Eventually folly will be seen for just what it is, folly. Oh, and don't we live in a time like that, don't we? Don't we live in a silly culture, don't we? You see, our culture is deeply divided, and I want you to understand the division. Our culture is deeply divided between those who believe there is a God and people who believe that they are God, and they can define reality. Our culture is divided between people who believe there is a God who defines reality for us and people who believe they are God and they can define reality. And listen, we are free. We are free to believe whatever we want to be. But reality will not conform to our beliefs. The problem with folly is that eventually it becomes folly because those who believe foolish things will bump into reality. They will bump into reality either in this life or in the life to come. The reason we stand firm in the gospel is because it's true. There is a God. There are moral absolutes. That means there are things that are true and right for everyone, everywhere, all the time. And you know what my mom used to teach me? This was good. My mom said, we cannot break the Ten Commandments. You say, what? Uh, my mom would say, listen, we can disobey them if we choose, but we can never break them because they're moral absolutes. And if we disobey them, they will break us either in this life or in the life to come. That's why it's so important that we stand firm in the gospel. We stand firm in the gospel. And so uh, I bet you can't believe what our action step is going to be this week, right? It is very simple. Simple message, simple action step. I just want you to stand firm in the gospel. And I want to invite you again to take your study and read the Bible with us because there's treasure everywhere. 
a month or so ago, remember we were reading through 1 Corinthians, and I found verses I don't remember seeing before, and I loved them so much I've memorized them. I love memorizing Scripture, don't you? Here it is. If you want to know what it means to stand firm in the gospel, listen to what I discovered in 1 Corinthians 16. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. There it is. All over the Newer Testament. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the gospel. Act like men. It's okay to be a man. Act like men. Be strong. And notice too, let all that you do be done in love. What does it mean to stand firm in the gospel? It means to stand firm that the gospel is true. It's true. It's good news. There was a man named Jesus who lived and died and rose again. It's true. It's to believe the gospel is not only true, it's powerful. It's the power of God, able to save anyone, to change lives, to change families, to change cultures. It's the power of God. And it's to believe the gospel is loving. It's loving to share the gospel. We live in a culture that believes that love means never hurting anyone's feelings. And I want you to know that Jesus had a very different definition of love, that Jesus believed that love is trying to prevent people from bumping into reality. The reason he came, the reason he died and rose is so we wouldn't bump into the reality of our sins. And he says, when we have friends who are headed to hell, the most loving thing we can do for them is to share the gospel with them and plead with them to be saved. And that's why I'm so thankful that so many of you are doing that. Oh, do you know this past week we had six different people who, who put their faith in Jesus Christ? And do you know why they came to faith in Christ? Because they had a friend who loved them enough to cross the pain barrier and to take a risk that they might offend them and share the bad news and then the good news and invite people to respond. And you, you guys are so amazing. Not, not only were there six, but, but two years ago, we started on this, and we had 21 people who had a chance to lead someone to faith in Christ. And last year, we prayed for that, that it would double. And, and we got to 46. We more than doubled. And so we've been praying this year that we would have 92 we had three new people this past week, so we've seen 79 people this year had a chance to lead someone to faith in Christ, and, and that's so, so good. And I have to tell you how amazing the people in our church are, because we put together a little Do You Know booklet uh, to make it easier for you to share your faith, and I never would have thought of this. But one of the ladies in our church loved her sister so much, you know what she did? She mailed her one. She mailed her one, but she didn't expect her sister to read it and understand it. So after she mailed it to her, she called her on the phone. And then they read through it together. And she understood the bad news and the good news. And she put her faith in Christ. Isn't that an amazing story? Isn't it? Way to go. And listen, you can do it too. You can do it too. Oh, I've had a really good time this week. I, I, I want to share with you what, what I did this week because I always love to go first. And so this week, I, I always have my Bible with me, and here's what I would do, and this is what I want you to do. I want you this week just to go find someone and say, hey, would you do me a favor? And what do you think people said when I asked them, will you do me a favor? 
They said, yes. Some people, the first service, were smart. They said, well, what is it? <laughs> and I said, I just want you to read something. <clears throat> because I believe if you can get someone to read the Bible, you have no idea the impact that'll have. And so I just said, would you read verses 2 through 4? And I had people who read, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, and then I asked them, well, what does that sound like? And what do you think they said? It sounds like today. Most people believe the Bible is some dusty book that has no relevance in our word, but when they read the Scripture, they're shocked. And then to ask them, when do you think that was written? Like yesterday? No, no, you won't believe this. It was written 2,000 years ago. Would you like to know more? Because I love to tell people who want to hear about Jesus, about Jesus, would you like to know more? Won't you do that this week? Listen, won't you just go and say, hey, would you have them read the Scripture? You'll be amazed. See, I believe this week, every one of us, when we're having conversations with people, one of the things we just read about is going to come up in the conversation. Someone's going to say, people are so disobedient to their parents. People are so irreconcilable in our, in, in our culture that the things are such a mess. Won't you say, you'll never believe what we did in church on Sunday. Hey, come read this passage. Have your Bible with Have them read it. It'll blow their minds. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. The Spirit says, that's today. Boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then just ask them, what does that sound like? When do you think this was written? Oh, wouldn't you like to know more? Oh, I want to equip you better. There's skills we need to have. And so won't you get up in the morning and won't you open up the Bible and, and let's read 1 Thessalonians 1. Let's read it. And then what we read, let's pray it back to God and then let's go and share that with someone else. That's how we do breakfast with Jesus. But what's Sunday about? Sunday's about as we gather to hear His Word. We gather to hear His Word, and then we pray the Word. We pray, Lord, help us to stand firm in the gospel, and then we go to share what we learn. Who are you going to share it with? Because the most loving thing we can ever do is to share the gospel with someone. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you for coming into this broken world filled with broken people like me to save us. Thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and rising and offering us salvation as a free gift. 
Listen, if for the first time you've come to understand the gospel and you'd like to be forgiven and you'd like to do life in eternity with Jesus, he's here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come into my life and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I pray for those of us who have been saved that you would help us this week. Help us to stand firm in the gospel. Lord, help us to believe the gospel is true. It's good news. Lord, help us to believe how powerful it is. When people hear the gospel, people are saved. Lord, help us to remember the most loving thing, the most loving thing we could ever do would be to share the gospel with those we love. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.